Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we come back to a section of Scripture we've been at on five previous studies. Now we come to our sixth study, and as we come primarily to verse 7, we're, we're coming to 2 Timothy verses um, 4, 1 to 8 is the section we've been studying, and we have just two verses left, and I'm really excited about these two verses. Number one, I got to tell you, I'm really excited because first and foremost, this text, verse 7 as well as verse 8, deal with sports. And for those of you who know me, you know that I enjoy sports. And this is a passage in which God uses sports metaphors. And the interesting dynamic is, is that God knew that sports would be important to mankind. For, for, for many, many years. And so as Paul is writing this about 67 AD, there's this little event called, there's this little event called the, the, um, the, 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 the as, as a sporting event. I can't remember if they called it at the, they don't think they call it at this time. It's at the city of Olympia. It will eventually become the Olympics for us. And so some of those metaphors are, we're gonna see in the scriptures are tied to those events that are happening. And obviously, the Olympics are a very big thing today. God knew that sports would transcend time and that mankind would hold the sports and be sports would be something important to them. And so we'll see that as we go through the verses we study. And as we work through verse just seven this morning, and we'll come to verse eight next week, the reason I'm so excited about how this is all playing out is this is converging so perfectly, is that in my 19 years of being here, and we've done, I believe, 18 or 19 resurrection services. We've worked through, through the years, word by word, verse by verse, through different books of the Bible, and I don't think it's ever occurred where we come to a Sunday, and it's a perfect passage for Resurrection Sunday. Guess what? Next Sunday is that Sunday, so we're going to be in 2 Timothy next week. I might not float your boat, but it's been something that's on my agenda for 18 years, 19 years, and I didn't plan it out that way. It just, God sovereignly worked it out. So we'll be in verse eight next week. But let's look at verses six to eight here. The Apostle Paul, as you know, is proclaiming the fact that he wants Timothy to preach the word of God. Timothy, he needs to know, you need to know that I'm gonna die, in essence, Paul is saying. And so you need to follow the methodology that I'm giving you. And as he comes to verse six, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. And if you look at your sermon notes, if you pull those out, you see that we said this is the final word, preach the word. You've heard this. Verse one is all about the grave responsibility. As Paul says, I solemnly charge you, please understand, God's watching. This is so critical. I want you to recognize that this is important. And then verse two, you got the five commands that should drive every ministry, which is led off by verse two, where he says, preach the word. Preach the word. May that drive everything that you do. Verse three, though, um, and four bring up the four obstacles where we recognize that it's going to be hard, not just because of the unbeliever, but because there's going to be people within the church that are not going to want to hear sound doctrine. They are going to want to have their ears tickled. It will make ministry more difficult. 
And then we saw that there were four more commands that were given in verse 5 that must drive every ministry, every life, that were more the methodology, if you will, of how ministry needs to be done. As you need to be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, all dealing with like a mindset, you know, have this mindset, be sober, be alert, be aware of what's going on, and be ready to endure hardship. And so, as we came to verse 6, as we studied last week, the Apostle Paul now turns, instead of like talking so much about you directly to Timothy, he begins talking about himself. And we see the word I throughout these verses, and it's a personal thing. Paul talks about the fact that he's about to die. He's going to break camp. He's going to depart. And he is, he is being poured out as a drink offering. And now he comes to these sports analogies. And leaving the metaphor or the picture of a sacrifice behind, he says in verse 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Three sports analogies. Three sports analogies. We'll see how all three, even the last one, I kept the faith, is a sports analogy. You might take your sermon notes, flip them on the backside. I, got, I, I want to tell you just as a, like a background as we're working through this, I want to give you three reasons sports and life work together very well. And we working through these, I thought it'd be good to present it here um, at, the, at the forefront. Why does this work so well? Why does God, if we observe God using sports with life and ministry, why do they work so well? Number one, winners and losers. Winners and losers. Sports have winners and losers. And, and when you look at life, there's winners and losers. I mean, You've got to be really clear, especially in America, there are winners and there are losers. And there are winners and losers in sports, and it is intense. The more you really want something, the more intense you will strive for it. Some of you have been watching the NCAA basketball tournament. There were guys last night in tears, adults. There were 20-year-olds. There were, there, were, there were 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. There were people that were actually crying because their sports team did not win. There were young guys that were you know, big, macho, 19, 20-year-olds that were in tears because their college careers were over. That's what sports does. And whether you're talking basketball, you're talking football, you're talking soccer, you're talking boxing, you're talking running. I can tell you every sport I've seen. I have seen the agony of defeat, the thrill of victory, right? Winners and losers, we get that. Well, how does that translate to, to life? Well, there's winners and losers when you come to life. And, you know, we may live in a world today where we want to have our little kids not keep score in their sporting events, and we don't want to have winners and losers and maybe that's because some people don't want to have winners and losers in life. But listen, there are winners and losers in life. And the ultimate winner and losers are going to be people that are either going to win by being in heaven or people who lose and go to a place called hell. And isn't it interesting? We'll even look at a passage today about weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, when you're involved in a sporting event, you so much want to win. And when you realize that you've lost, it can just wrench at you. It just rips you up. You know, 
Some of you guys know, I've been the, the soccer coach over at Highland Christian. And one of the things that you may not know is that it drives me nuts that I got into the championship game last year and then I got into the semifinals this year. And in both of those games, I did a strategy that maybe I could have done something different and we ended up losing. And so it just grips at you, you know? How many people are gonna be in heaven are going to be in hell, and they're going to think, oh my goodness, somebody presented the gospel to me. Somebody showed me the Bible. Somebody gave me a track, and I didn't read it. I blew it off. Do you understand the weeping and gnashing of teeth? I mean, it's going to grit at people. And I often think Revelation 21 that talks about he's going to wipe away every tear. I think some of us are going to say, my approach to life really stunk because I didn't share the gospel. I didn't tell people, my methodology wasn't to get people here. They lost because I didn't do it. So life and sports, winners and losers. Number two, competition. Sports and life both have competition, and it's intense. It is intense. You know in sports, when, like I just said, you, know, you have people who give everything and they leave it on the field and you know you watch a football game and the guys are sweating in there and they are they are um basically just spent um some of you may may not know you never may not have been ever ever in like a football locker before a game part of the reason pro football um, players are so silent before a game is they're terrified because they know that when they go on the field they could die that day because it's so intense they recognize the competition is going to come out that 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 someone could hit them and they could have a spinal injury and they could be um, they could be crippled for life or they could die because that's what comes out in a sporting event like a football game like a boxing match where it is intense and life will cause in the the event that competition will cause them to bring everything out sports deals with you push and the other team pushes back you know in life we would all like to have it think that there's no competition no one's pushing back God tells us over and over, we we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and spiritual forces, right? Satan uses people to push back, and he himself pushes back. And and in sports, it you know sometimes people don't play um, fair. We're going to see competition sometimes isn't fair, but the competition is going to be intense in life because Satan really wants to win. And his people really want to win. I think it's interesting when I think about intensity and I start talking about sports metaphors. Sometimes sports all of a sudden then crosses a line and all of a sudden you're talking about sports tied into to war. It was a battle today on the football field. It was a war out there. You'll even use that expression. You'll, you'll, we left it all out on the field. Hey, when you go play that team today, take no prisoners. And I think it was, it's often ironic. I thought how you know, we pick up these sports metaphors and we tie it to the intensity so it brings in war. Just as a side note, some of you might be interested. I just heard this two weeks ago, so I'd share it with you. It's interesting how sports and war cross, as they were developing for World War II, the grenade, as they were coming up with the grenade that was being developed for the first time for the Second World War, the engineers thought, you know what? We've got to have it be the size of a baseball 
because many young men in America should know how to throw a baseball. And if they know how to throw a baseball, they'll be able to more accurately throw the grenade in war. So war crossed into sports, which crossed into the intensity of life. Number three, rules. Rules. Okay, not only do we have winners and losers, not only do we have competition in life and sports, which are intense, but we have rules that govern sports. You know, you cannot, you cannot play sports like we're in baseball. I've got to run 90 feet to first base, but the other team only has to run 80 or 110. If you do that in sports, you leave it, you leave sports as something that's frustrating, that's chaos, right? And, and you get really, like I say, frustrated. Because like if you're playing in basketball, I can't have a, I can't have it be, a basket be two points for you and then five points for me. Um, it just isn't right. Now, as a father, when I'm playing Joshua in basketball, my son's getting better and better. He's getting more better athletically. And so he'll be up 20 to 10 and beating me. And I'll say the next basket's worth 10. <laughs> and, and, and that frustrates him really frustrates him, okay? But, you know, when we look at sports and there's rules, you know, one of the things we know is the world, there's cheating that goes on. And there's a famous quote that a famous sportsman said, if, in in the middle of sports, if you're, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Well, the reality of it is, is, you know, we know in life, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Right? And, and, and there's, a, there's a world that's supposed to play by rules, God's rules. But Satan doesn't play by God's rules. They lie, they steal, they cheat. They do whatever they can to manipulate, to get people to lose. Satan wants people to lose. And so we'll see that rules are a very important part of life and as they are with sports, okay? So let's get in. Let's get into verse 7. Verse 7 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. This is the, all part of where the Apostle Paul is saying this is the ideal way to live and then die. He has said he wants to live as a living sacrifice. Look at point 2B there. Fill in the blank. He wants to be a faithful competitor for God. He wants to be a faithful competitor. A competitor is one who competes, right, as an athlete. And I, so I got this idea of defining, uh, coming up with the definition of an athlete. An athlete is a person who's trained in or good at sports, games, or exercises that require physical skill and strength. And what the Apostle Paul does here is he gives us three metaphors, all with what's called a perfect tense verb where it's past action that has present results because Paul is like he, he the, the the final gun hasn't sounded but Paul is looking at the end of his life and he's like this is like this is the end and I've and I can tell you I've fought the good fight I finished the course I've kept the faith and and it's like th- we're at the end here and this is how I've lived my life and I'm giving you these three sports metaphors, and I want you to grasp them so that you understand how you're to live. This isn't just to be left with the Apostle Paul, and obviously it isn't just to be left with Timothy. This is for us. And I want you to ask yourself as we go through this, is this the way you're living? You may not like sports. I don't know how, but you, you've got to ask yourself. You can at least relate and understand this. Number one, number one he put forth the right effort, okay? When he says, I fought the good fight. The word fight and fought are both from a Greek word that which we get our word agony, okay? So he goes, I've agonized the good agony. 
And the, the aspect of the, the fight there doesn't have to be a boxing match. I, one of the things sometimes it throws me, like I was thinking to myself, is Paul mixing up his, his sports here, where it, when you say I finished the course, you're thinking of like a running event. And so, you, you know, I fought the good fight, uh, and then I, I finished the course like I did my running. I think he is talking about I, I fought the right contest. We'll, we'll see that here in a second. I'll explain that a little bit more, but... What you need to understand is, first and foremost, he put forth effort, okay? And to be a winner in sports, you gotta, you gotta put forth the effort. You gotta put forth the right training. You've gotta put in the right practice methodology. You gotta be, then when you get in the sport, you've gotta go for it as hard as you can. Let's look at some passages that help explain this concept of agony in our Christian life. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I thought this was interesting. As Paul was wrapping up his first pastoral epistle book, the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he has told, <coughs> he has told Timothy in verse 10, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, which we can all grasp, Verse 11, flee from these things. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Flee from these things, you man of God. You want to be a man of God? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then he says in verse 12, almost, almost the exact same concepts that we saw in 2 Timothy. He says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Agonize the good fight the good agony. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. Why do we, what's gonna be the agony? Don't live for the world. Don't live for money. Don't live for the things that are gonna take you from righteousness, godliness, faith, love. As the world pulls you I need you to continually push back. I need you to be someone that's different, Timothy. I need you to be somebody that fights the good fight. I need you to be someone that will not get caught up in the ways of the world. And the money and the power and the pleasure and the perversions, they're constantly gonna come at you. You must continually say, I'm gonna put forth effort. It isn't going to be just something where you can just let go and let God, as the expression goes. We all must recognize the intensity here. God has chosen sports metaphors so that we can say, well, I understand, I've watched a boxing match and I saw that those people went intensely after it. And that's necessarily the way I'm gonna have to maybe maintain my marriage. I'm gonna have to maintain my sexual purity. I'm gonna have to maintain my, my efforts so that I don't get caught up in worldliness. Think about this. Think about fighting the good fight. Turn back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Olympic methodology, most commentators will hold that 1 Corinthians 9 is definitely having, has Olympic methodology (coughs) concepts in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 is where we're going to get to. (coughs) The apostle Paul, though, begins in verse 24. Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? run in such a way that you may win, okay? So he was talking about their Olympics and the fact that they get a a prize if you win. Now, one of the great differences between us 
And an Olympic event or any race or any something like that is that we can all, our whole team can win and everyone that we jo- get joined on our team can win. But then there is an individual aspect of being rewarded for how you live too. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the game exercises control in all things, okay? When he says everyone who competes, he literally means everyone who agonizes. This is the exact same form of that Greek word, to agonize. Who agonizes in the games, exercises self-control in all things. They that do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, myself will not be disqualified. So here I tell people about the right way to live and the right way to think. And I... When I'm tempted, I don't give in so that my life is discredited. So I tell people, hey, it's important to live this way. It's important to witness this way. And then when I get tired and I get frustrated and I say to myself, man, I just, you know, want to start taking care of self. Then I start to say, wait a second. I need to remember that I'm competing for God. I'm on God's team. And I will be rewarded for how I live my life. And I cannot give in to, you know, hey, I'd like to sleep in this morning. Hey, I, I don't want to have the same eating regimen as, as all the other athletes. I've got to push myself. And I've got to do it with purpose. And I've got to train with purpose. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Gospel of Luke. It's interesting, as Jesus, Jesus is describing one of the most interesting questions in all the Bible, Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, we're going to pick up in verse 22, but verse 24 is where our agony comes in. <laughs> verse, verse 22, Jesus was passing, this is Gospel of Luke, verse 22 of chapter 13, He was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Interesting question. He says, and he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That word strive, it's agonize. It's like put forth the effort to enter through the narrow door. I think it's because it says we know we're not saved by works, but there's the idea here of it, it takes effort for you to look into this and understand what is the narrow way. So he goes on, he says, once the head of the household gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer to you and say, I don't know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are being thrown out. Basically, you lose you, you, you didn't put forth the effort. You know, how often do we tell people, how often do you tell people, here's a track, will you please read it? I tell people, here's a track. You better take the time to read this. You better put forth effort. That's what he's talking about. I mean, there's gonna be all kinds of literature, I feel, that, that Ken came up with as a really great illustration. People are buying the Bible. The Bible's one of the greatest books being sold. We were talking about this in Sunday school that people have it, but then they don't 
take it off the shelf. Jesus is saying here, take that Bible, put forth the effort, look into the truths of Scripture. And, and, and I tell you to tell people, put forth an effort. Tell people to put forth an effort. This isn't like, hey, agonize so that you, you know, work hard to get baptized or you do good works. This, this is, look into this Christianity. Jesus is saying to these people, you're going to find out. I was right before you the whole time, but you never did any investigation. You never looked into me. You keep thinking I'm from Nazareth. You never look into the fact that take one extra step and find out that I was from Bethlehem. So look at verse 24. Strive, agonize to enter through the narrow door. Look into this, Jesus tells the world. Go back to Colossians now. Taking you through a couple more verses. Colossians chapter 1. It's interesting. You know, the Apostle Paul, he gets saved. And, and he tells us in the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So New Testament. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 28, the Apostle Paul gives a great methodology for ministry or perp- and goal for ministry. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. He says, we proclaim him, speaking of Jesus, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor, again, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me, agonizing, agonizing. So, you know, it isn't like I let go and let God. There's a sense where as God reminds me that I need to get myself off my chair, you know, that I need to go out and I need to do work, then that is God working through me. And that's what I believe Paul is saying. Maybe Paul had a tendency to say the same thing, like we call people couch potatoes. I don't know. But, you know, I know that when I'm trying to work out or I'm trying to be an athlete, you know, I can work out for a week and I can work out for two weeks, but then all of a sudden I get a little tired and I go, oh, I don't want to get up and I don't want to keep working. I don't want to keep going to the club. I don't want to keep, you know, cutting out on my diet. I don't want to do all those things. Well, it's the same thing with Christianity. Sometimes you don't feel like, okay, I've gone out and I've witnessed and I've gone out and I've studied or I've done this. I've worked in this ministry. Now I'm getting a little tired. Paul says, I, want, I recognize I, if I'm going to be working with people, I've got to keep pushing and striving according to the power that works in me. It's agony. It is hard. Turn to the end of the book here, Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul gives the testimony of Epaphras. Epaphras, verse 12, who was one of your number. Verse 12 of chapter 4, Colossians. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. I thought that was interesting. Epaphras, he was one of their number. He sends you his greetings. He's laboring earnestly. Um, where is it? <sighs> laboring earnestly. He's agonizing. He's laboring. He's working with agony. He's, he's putting forth intensity in the way he prays. And I think what a great reminder to all of us that, you know, prayer, sometimes you, I, I'll get tired. My mind will drift. It's the same thing with working out. You go to work out on weights, you know, and I'm sure you guys can all tell. I work out with weights all the time. Okay, so the reality is, is when I w- go work out, sometimes I say to myself, man, I can, I can just, you know, I can just curl 60, 70 pounds. Sweetheart, I curl 90 pounds, okay? 
So I can go and I can just curl 50 and it's like nothing. But if I put forth the intensity and I'll say, I'll push myself, I'll push myself and I'll try to do a little bit more, I'll do a little more effort, then, then, then I'll recognize, wow, I get more done. And you push yourself physically. It's the same thing. Like, okay, I'll do an extra foot skill drill in soccer. I'll do an extra passing drill in football. I'll do some more, you know, um, throwing in baseball. That's what he's saying. This is a guy that as he come and he prayed, he labored. And sometimes you say, prayer is just so hard. It's just so frustrating. Yeah, because it's hard work to pray. So pray, put forth that effort. Last verse for this idea of striving. Go back to 1 Timothy, where we all started. This time, chapter 4. 1 Timothy, chapter 4. Because our first passage was in 1 Timothy 6. But last one here. He, he tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us that in verse 9, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that, you know, that... Um, we're living for the next life. You go back and he's, he is dealing with sports metaphors in verse 8. But he says in verse 10, for it is this that we labor and strive. Labor and strive, agonize, because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. We, 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 we put forth effort in ministry like on the sense of an athletic contest because we recognize that when this whole world is all said and done, Jesus is going to credit us and recognize and, and bless us for how we've lived our lives. And godliness is so important for the next life in the sense of how we're going to be rewarded in the next life. So bringing this all in, discipline, putting forth the effort is all part of this context. So you go back and you look at verse 10 even more, but... Ask yourself honestly, are you passive with your Christianity? Are you agonizing? So go, go back then to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and, and understand when he says, I fought the good fight. He goes, I've agonized this. I've put forth this, this, this life I've lived and it's the good agony. And it's interesting when you do a study of, of what is good in Scripture, it, there's, there's the good tree, there's the good fruit, there's good ground, there's good fish. Something is good, it's of the right quality. And as I said to you, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is, I have got in the right contest. This isn't just that I had a good fight, I got in the right fight. Some of you are Chicago Cubs baseball fans. How many of you heard their baseball pitcher went to the wrong stadium this week? He, he put in the GPS. He was time to pitch. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. And he went to the wrong stadium. It's, it's spring training, so it didn't matter. But he went to the wrong place. Some people are going to find out come judgment day. I was in the wrong place with my life. I spent my Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. I'm not involved in Christianity. I'm not involved in ministry. I'm not involved. I'm fighting. I'm fighting for more money. I'm fighting more stuff. I am in the wrong stuff. My life is in the wrong fight. It's in the wrong fight. I fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. There are people who have worked for wealth. They've worked for health. They work for this, they work for that, and they, and, they, and they will say to themselves, when it's all said and done, I got everything I wanted in the world, and God's going to say, guess what, you did, but you fought the wrong fight. It's no different from the, the, the guy that goes to the wrong stadium, goes to the wrong place, gets involved in the wrong contest. I fought the good fight. 
I fought the good fight. Then he says, okay, second thing, not only did he fight the good fight, but he says, I finished the course. He says, I finished the course. And here brings up the methodology, like, I, I, I've completed the race. The word for course here could be like, it's, I've completed the race. And, and in athletics, what I've seen over and over and over and over is that people quit. People quit. You know, I can remember the first day that I tried out for track. I wish somebody would have told me, helped me when I was in seventh grade. The, the whole concept of the first day of track in seventh grade was they ran us around the building until we puked. And then you never wanted to come back the next day. And, and, and so you quit. And, and, and when you look at Christianity, it is going to be hard. And at times you want to puke because it's going to be so difficult with all the sacrifices and all the things that you're working for. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, as we've said, you know, he's been beaten up. He's been, he's been run out of town. He's been, people, some people have turned their backs on him. And he's, he doesn't give up. And, and, you know, one of the things when you're a coach and you're, you're telling players, give that extra effort, finished. One of the saddest things that you see is when some athlete is so close, but then they just don't put forth the extra effort and they quit. They quit. Paul says, I didn't quit. I finished the course. Now, just quickly, it's interesting that the author of Hebrews uses this running analogy. Because remember, he said athletics are throughout the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to remember this. If you want to learn how to run better for God, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The apostle Paul is... uh, I almost lifted it. The author of Hebrews is, says this. In Hebrews chapter 12, since we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. This is after the wrap-up of the great passage on faith. He says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he, then he goes and talks about discipline and the difficulties and the fact that we haven't come to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. So bringing in another analogy, basically you're not puking blood, yet you're not dead. But there are two things that he brings up here. And, and he says there are two things that mess you up. Things that entangle you, you see that? Encumbrances and the sin. Sin are encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us. Those are two things. The first one has got to be the scary one. Sin I can identify. I can see, wow, if I get involved in kinds of like stealing, drugs, money, um, laundering or whatever, doing something improper, you know, you can see that's going to trip me up. But what are encumbrances? Well, it's like running with weights, things that hold you back. When, you know, if, if you went out running and you had two five-pound weights in your pockets, it's going to weigh you down. You take those weights out, everything goes a lot smoother. Encumbrances are not sin. They are things that weigh you down. Oh, I'm living for the bigger house. I'm living for more money. I'm living for this. I'm living for that. I just, you know, you can't see, you, you know, you can't see me on church on Sunday because the Cleveland Browns are on. You can't see me at church on Friday, on, on Saturday, because, the, you know, Ohio State basketball is on. And I'm just talking about me. I mean, what is it? Oh, I got my model trains. I got this. I got that. I, these are things that I live for. I put this as my priority over serving God. You're missing it. 
those are things that hold you back. Now, I'm not saying you can't have hobbies and you can't like Ohio State football, which we all do. (laughs) But we all have to recognize that we can't, we have to have, we have to take those encumbrances off. Lastly, go back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. This is the last thing. The idea here is I follow the rules. The faith is the faith that's once for all delivered. The faith is that which we get. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, I follow the rules. You know, one of the things that you see, like I said earlier, if you ain't trying, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And, and we've got to remember in ministry that God has told us that, number one, there is a way to do ministry. You know, one of the things you hear all the time, you hear all the time, is God, you know, God gives us the message, but he didn't give us the method. And then people say, you know, when Paul taught, when Paul taught, there weren't TVs, there weren't radios, we use those today. So obviously the methodology of which we get the message out has changed. But that's not this, that's a real quick bait and switch. And where I'm coming from with all this is that the Apostle Paul said that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The only way people get saved and the way people grow is through the word of God. Get the message out through the word of God. And, and that when I go out and I live my Christian life, I'm supposed to have the character of being above reproach, a husband of one wife, faithful, temperate, prudent. Those traits all of us are supposed to have. Those are things when you say, what am I supposed to keep? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. You and I are to follow God's rules. You say, which rules? I got to say all of them, whichever one he wants us. And obviously we're New Testament saints. But I want us to recognize that Paul says, I've kept the faith. I've, I have followed the rules. And, you know, for me, ever since I've been a, a, a little boy, all I've known is people who've cheated in sports. My favorite baseball player was, one of my favorite baseball players was Gaylord Perry. He put spitballs on his baseball. When I found that out, it just, it just broke my heart because when I was a little boy in 19, I think it was 71, I'm staying up, I'm staying up until two in the morning so I can watch Gaylord Perry break a baseball record. He was a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians and some other teams, but he, he was setting a major league consecutive win record and, and, and he was like so great and he, nobody had ever done this. Well, years later, I come to find out that all Gaylord Perry did was cheat. You know, some of you baseball fans in this area, we remember Sammy Sosa's breaking all those records and Mark McGuire breaking all those baseball records. And you come out later and you find out they cheated. They were doing steroids and all these other players were doing steroids. All this is to say is, whether it's been steroids, spitballs, people, you know, illegally taping the other team. There's been nothing but cheating in sports. We've got to recognize in life, we have to keep the rules. We have to keep it in life. We have to keep it in ministry. And that's why you need to be reading the rule book. And the more you read the rule book, the more you know. What I find often is that people don't know the rule book and they don't want to live by the rule book and they don't want to do ministry by the rule book. And when you look at all of this, just cutting a little bit ahead, you know, the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, I won. I won. Look at verse 8. In the future is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
basically saying, I know that I've won. I've kept the, I fought the right fight. I've been involved in the right battle. I, I finished the course. I got to the end. I didn't quit like 100 feet from the end. I've watched races where people have actually done like long marathons and they quit too early. Paul says, I finished the course. I've gotten to the end and I've kept the rules along the whole way. I, you know, there's no cheating in me. And so I've won. And that's what I want you to do. The world is going to continually want you to take a life of ease, to get involved in the wrong stuff. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. John MacArthur has a uh, quote from our president, or former president, Theodore Roosevelt. I thought this was really good. I said, I'll repeat this. I'll read this. I thought you should all hear this. Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt, and he's talking about getting involved in the game, getting involved in, the, getting involved in athletics. And he said this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming who does actually try to do the deed, who, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checked by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a great twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat, meaning they never get in the battle. I just want you guys to get in the battle, get in the fight, get in the arena, and know, thankfully, you know, in sports, when you get involved, when you get involved in sports, you never know if you're going to win or lose. With Christianity, you get involved, you play by God's rules, you finish the course, you win. And, 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 and that's the thing. And I leave you with the fact that, remember, these aren't suggestions. Paul is laying out the methodology for how to live Preach the word, verse 2. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Please live this life. Verse 5. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your course. I've done this, Paul says. Please now you do it, Timothy. Give it to the church so that they do it. Let us be someone that athletically goes out for God and agonizes the way he wants. Now, some of you, some of this doesn't make any sense. This isn't the way you live. You know why it isn't? Maybe it's because you're not born again. Maybe it's because you really haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've attended church all your life and there's never been this commitment. Maybe because it's all superficial. Ask yourself in your heart, is Jesus really my coach? Is he really the one I'm following? Is he the one I've truly committed to? Do I believe he's God and man who died to pay the penalty for my sin? He is, he's given you everything. You should commit to him. You should commit to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, thank you, thank you for these methodologies in which you've given us. Life is hard and athletics are hard and we've seen people chewed up and spit off on the athletic field. And life can do that to us, God, and we can feel at times like we're losers. But I pray that every believer here today, no matter what battle they're in, no matter what fight they're in, they're saying to themselves, you know what? I know because of Jesus Christ, whatever he's put in my life, I will continue to fight. 
a fight for him, fight to be a strong testimony, a fight to be someone who's witnessing for Christ. I will finish the course. To the end of my life, I will do what I'm supposed to do. Whether I am a lay person in the pew, Bible teacher in Sunday school, Awana, long as I can push it, long as I can go, I will do what I'm supposed to do, God. I will finish my course. And I will play by your rules the whole way. I'll keep the faith, the doctrines that you want. I won't walk away. I pray, God, that that's the passion of everybody here today. Help us, God, to have that methodology. Help us, God, to be passionate about this. In Jesus' name, amen.